You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. And I stumbled upon curiosity because that was the, the trick that did it to give people that, that notion of electricity that turned inward somehow. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. Once upon a time, my husband and I both quit our jobs, pretty much cold turkey. We'd put off a lot until later and wondered if some of the life circumstances going on were suggesting that later was now. His plan was to write a book. My plan was to get a plan. At first, it looked like that plan was going to be a consulting business anchored around curiosity. I'd found choosing to be curious incredibly helpful in my nonprofit management life, and I figured there was work to be done that would be fun and rewarding. But somewhere along the way, I got this idea about pitching a radio show, and the consulting work took a back seat. But I'm always excited to discover others who have made a go of the idea. And today, joining us all the way from Belgium is Stefan van Hooydonk, founder of the Global Curiosity Institute. Stefan started his career in investment consulting in China. From there, he moved to set up the executive education arm of a major business school in Shanghai. Then he moved to the corporate side and set up global learning teams and innovative corporate universities for the likes of Nokia, Agfa, and Philips. His last role was as chief learning officer for Cognizant, where he oversaw the learning and development of over 300,000 associates across the globe. Now, he's providing curiosity diagnostics to help individuals, organizations, and society at large foster a curiosity mindset in hopes of inspiring them to keep discovering and innovating, all while pursuing a master's degree in philosophy. I'm excited for this conversation. Welcome, Stefan. Thanks, Lynn. Thanks so much. I, I think your part was so much more exciting than my part. <laughs> I it's, don't know. <laughs> uh, you're, you're, you're jumping the deep and let serendipity take its, its own course and go with it. I loved it. Yeah, well, it definitely was serendipitous. But your career trajectory suggests that you've been honoring your own curiosity for a long time. Do you see it that way? I think so. Of course, it's always it's afterwards. It's always easier to talk about it than, yeah. than while you, while you're in it. But I think um, I think I have, and I, I think I also have grown in quite a number of areas. Like curiosity is just not one thing for me. I define curiosity as as the three pieces coming together, like intellectual curiosity, which is our traditional way of looking at curiosity. But empathic curiosity for me is equally important. And then the third one is curiosity of, of self or self-reflective curiosity. And when I'm saying that I've, I've grown probably, it took me an entire lifetime and still I'm not really good at it. That is self-reflective part. I can always get better. It's a continuous journey. On the intellectual side, I think I've been always quite, quite curious. And on the empathy side, I think I, that's also something that went went with ups and downs and and I'm still learning. Yeah. So when did curiosity become a focus in your work life? 
as a as a chief learning officer, you're often you're all the time dealing with 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 improving people, with making them learn. And as of the last 10, 15 years ago, we have this mantra of people should be self starters and self self propelled. And 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 suddenly, when observing all the people that I was trying to serve. I saw that there's there's different types of people, and there's one type of people, and I call them A players. And these are people that are all the time part of the right networks. They, are, they ask the right questions. They have the right humility to 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 to, to stretch themselves. They 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 learn on their own account. They read books. Uh, sad thing is that often you only have about ten or fifteen percent of of, of mm. the population in your organizations, and then you have the B players, people that want to learn and grow and be curious but somehow they miss something or alongst from their childhood until who they are at present they they somehow lost something out of their rucksack and they need some electricity to 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 put it back they need a manager they need a process they need marketing they need some something in a in in in, in a perfect setting to to get going and my question always was uh, probably for the last 10 years or so, how can I turn those, so let's call them B players, into A players? And once that's done, then I can focus on, on, on wildly different things because learning will be so much more a function of pull. People will be wanting to learn, will be pulling stuff and knowledge and, and, and there suddenly you're not only talking about classes anymore, you're also talking about resources and access to stuff and just a hunger of people. And so that's that was my goal, and and I, I started kind of playing around. As a chief learning officer, you have the opportunity. You're dealing, yeah, you have people you can you can not play with, but, but people that you can try things out to so to see how they can get better beyond the normal things that you you're training them on. And I stumbled upon curiosity, as a because that was the the trick that did it to give people that. That notion of electricity that turned inward somehow. I was reminded of Carol Dweck's description of growth mindset as sort of exuberant learning. Mm-hmm. That's some of that energy, I guess, that uh, that people bring to it. So, so that helped you kind of peg what you thought was this secret sauce. <laughs> but then you had to sort of figure out how to. How could you find it, right? Is that where the diagnosing of curiosity comes in? Um, yes. Well, that came in a little bit later. I did. I, I went at Cognizant. We trained fifteen thousand people. We 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 trained them actually also on growth mindset to stay with uh, with Carol Dweck. Curiosity, growth mindset, and learn to learn. And magic happened. We can talk about it later if you want. But what the diagnostics for me were a way to to make it transparent. Maybe that that's part of my. Kind of business background, always. How do you translate things into data, and how can you can you measure data? What you measure, you can you can deal with, you can manage. So for me to create these different diagnostics was all about how can I make curiosity transparent, and how can I make it as a not out of out of the realm of fluffiness, and do something about. It. Especially now, you know, during COVID. When so many, it's not only at societal level, but also at company level, at individual levels, that somehow we need to find different tools yeah. for the problems that we have. And and you see that the, some companies are just thriving. And the sad thing is many companies are just barely surviving. And, and, and parties, 
is how much are you letting exploration to become part of your journey. We're really good at exploitation, and we've been doing that for the last hundred years. Very good, and we have our efficiency matrices and, and, and so on and so forth, but everything around innovation and exploration and enabling individuals, enabling organizations, even societies, is, is something that um, well, at least got me excited. Yeah. So I have taken your diagnostic uh, for curiosity, but for those who haven't, talk about the instruments. Okay, I have. Uh, that's one. That's one instrument, and that's very much talking about me as a as a as an individual and right. what is my curiosity score, you could call it. What is my curiosity profile against the three dimensions that I just highlighted? Curiosity of of the world, uh, which you could, you could kind of also call it cognitive curiosity, intellectual curiosity, then curiosity of others is how much am I interested in the other person in front of me, in, in her ideas, in her emotions, uh, um, that I call uh, curiosity of others or empathic curiosity. And then you have curiosity of self, which is all around how much am, am I going deeper? How much am I sensing that um, I can self-reflect? I want to self-reflect on the deeper drivers that are... Um, that are with me. And through that diagnostic, there's a number of questions um, that people can take. It's, it's, it's free online because uh, I, I want to not only do this for the business community, but I also want to do this for many other people. I've got many students and many uh, grandmothers that are taking <laughs> the survey, which is, which is beautiful too. So that's one tool. I've got now 1,600 people who've done it. And uh, I've now just started looking at also some deeper data. How do we compare, for instance, gender? Is, uh, is, are men more curious than women? Are people from big companies more curious than people from small companies? And other dynamics that, that can be found. I will put a plug for people doing it. You get a very nice little write-up with the results. And I wanted, I was actually curious about this. My results came back very evenly divided in these three okay. categories. And I wondered if there's such a thing as a typical curiosity profile, a more common curiosity profile. I mean, are you seeing any patterns in what you're doing? I've, I've actually not found a pattern mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. what, I do, what I do notice is that people, overall the statistics tell me that people are best at their empathic curiosity. Oh, interesting. Then curiosity of self, and the lowest one is curiosity of the world. Um, and I, I, I wonder whether that has something to do with COVID. That, uh, yeah. that we have time for ourselves, we have time for others, although maybe not enough, depending on where we are in the world with, uh, with lockdowns and so on. Uh, but maybe, because one of the big detractors of curiosity is, is anxiety and stress. So maybe, especially in the curiosity of the world or of intellectual curiosity, we might just become more interested in today uh, and less in tomorrow. But what I'm also seeing with a lot of people is that curiosity of self, self-reflective curiosity, is actually the hardest muscle that we have. We're really, we have two eyes, so we're really good at watching the world outside of us, but we don't really have tools to watch internally, at least... Of course, I've, I've only had very few people who told me that I'm not really good at this, at self-reflection. Of course, I'm, I'm an adult, and I'm, um, but saying that you're good at, good at it doesn't really make you so. Uh -huh. um, and I think also that's part of the maybe A players. There's, there's two types of people. No? There's people that's, that, that say they're good at it, and there's people that are actually good at it. 
But it doesn't really matter with the survey because I, I one of the goals with this is also to prime people that there is something like self-reflective curiosity. And and I'm hearing a lot of people that they're starting to self-reflect post to taking the survey or they're asking their partners to take the survey and then they have a, a healthy or a, a beautiful discussion uh, over dinner. Oh, I love that. I love the idea of the survey as a means, not an end, that it, in posing the question, regardless of what the answer is in the moment, sets the the possibility for that question to get more oxygen, more airtime, more kind yes, of percolating yes. in the brain. That's lovely. And I'm also doing this now with teams, and then suddenly I give—I never give, of course, the private data back to the team, but I, I, give, I create a, a team aggregates diagnostic, and this is how we, we as a team in terms of looking at the world, looking at the others, looking at ourselves. And every team is different, but it, it creates beautiful discussions among those teams. So maybe maybe we're not really self-reflective as a team. Yeah, yeah. Because self-reflective also goes to the to the to, to the decide or what biases do we have, what limiting beliefs do we have as an individual or as a team or as an organization type of a thing, and that's uh, that's great. Uh, and then I have my other diagnostic, which is more around organizational settings, how much is the culture, the climate, the processes and practices that we all have in our team or organization, how much is that supporting curiosity? Mm. Um, and then I find out psychological safety, manager relationship, role models, time to grow, and those type of dy- dynamics uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out. And- oh, that's interesting. So you're so you're looking for evidence of certain kinds of behaviors and attitudes. So I was I was actually wondering, you know, I have this fondness for analogies and analogous thinking with my big jar of wannabe analogies. And, you know, this sort of wondering how is this like that as a way to open thinking and finding, you know, maybe surprising connections or solutions. Does analogous thinking show up in your diagnoses anywhere? No. Ah. You've just planted a seed, though. Oh, good. <laughs> but I, I, I don't have, uh, I don't have that yet on the radar. I, I need to think about it because I think you're absolutely right. There is this difference between narrow and broad curiosity. Yeah. And and narrow curiosity is really going deep into your own specialization, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's 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 really becoming a better engineer, becoming a better radio host, becoming a better farmer doesn't really matter. And then you have broad curiosity, which is looking for uh, reading broadly um, and looking for unconsciously even connection points between those areas. Mm-hmm. And that's, for instance, nowadays, uh, most Nobel Prize winners, they're in the broad category. Of course, they're deep in their own subjects, but they're often not deep in one subject. They might be deep in two or three subjects, and they're looking for the magic between those subjects. So your your point of, of looking for these surprising analogies from one, one piece, which is influencing positively something else, is... Uh, it's very powerful. I also see with managers, most managers that get promoted, are ma- those managers are willing to go broad rather than going going uh, going even more deep. So, I need to find a way to how to how to capture that. Yeah, well, keep me posted. <laughs> this is kind of an interesting 
thing, particularly, you know, in cultures that have that have have, have had some ambivalence about curiosity. Let's put it that way. Oh, old, old society. <laughs> right. Old well, society. and I wanted to ask you this in what you've been doing, sort of what you've seen in terms of cultural differences about, you know, how individuals and organizations express, tolerate, embody curiosity. Are you, have you seen enough to begin to get a sense of that? I mean, mine is such a Western bias. I'm really curious if you've seen something I have yet to see. I've not seen it yet. I've not started yet with mm-hmm. uh, with looking at cross cultural differences. Intuitively, I can imagine things, but I don't have not looked at the data yet about how much this might influence the way people look at uh, at curiosity at societal level or at organizational level. At organizational level, I've not noticed. I've been working with companies from 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 India. I've been working with companies from North America, from Europe, and. I see differences at at company culture levels, but less so so far at country culture levels. And i.e., that yeah, that Indian people would be different from Europeans, um, yeah, but people working for a high tech Indian company, and I compare them to a, a production facility in France, then I see very different, uh, very different things, regardless of the culture. I hope in I hope in, in a couple of months I'll have more data on this. Yeah. I've been I've been deep diving recently quite heavily in the in gender differences. Oh, do you have um, anything you can so, share yet? Yeah, sure. For for instance, that if you're looking at the the three dimensions that we just discussed, the curiosity about the world, others, and self, in terms of cognitive curiosity, there's there's, there's no difference. Virtually no difference between women men and women. Uh-huh. But when you're touching upon empathic curiosity, then I think very often people automatically or intuitively even would say that women are better than, than, than men at this because of the, the, the relational power and uh, uh, being more in tune with, um, with other minds. And I've proven that now with women are about 5% more strong or have that muscle better developed. Hmm. On the self-reflective side, guess, guess where the difference would be? I'm. <laughs> I'm putting it on. I'm not sure. You know, well, it's I'm thinking back at the instrument, and I'm thinking about my own reactions to it. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't. I actually don't know. It's actually uh, women are stronger in self-reflection. Well, no, but when you're looking at the organizational, how much is the organization enabling me as a professional to to behave curiously? Then I see differences more on the other side that uh, women are much less ready to to say that the organization, the environment, is helping me to be curious, uh, uh-huh. and that's uh, and that's a discussion I'd love to have with with businesses now and maybe diversity uh, and, and inclusion uh, colleagues around the world. What to what could this lead to? What could be the deeper drivers? If you're looking for instance role models, like right. I'm working with smart smart people, I have role models around me. Then women are about nine percent less ready to say I I have those than men. So men are at about sixty three percent, and women are fifty fifty four percent. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. Yeah. Even also, men are not saying that they're kind of that they're in the nineties. It's only at sixty three percent, but still, it's a big difference between. Uh, Genders, or I just got some data this morning. Um, for instance, here, honest and original mistakes are recognized as an indication of initiative and courage. You know, 
women are are a twelve percent, twelve and a half percent less ready to say so than, than than men are. Well, and with good reason, right? Other data suggest that the vulnerability that you express through curiosity is maybe tolerated in men in a way that it's not tolerated in women because yeah, it, yeah, it goes yeah. to this narrative of weakness, whereas in men it goes to a narrative oh of elasticity and intellectual rigor and. Uh, so the same behavior gets interpreted really differently. So you can very absolutely show up differently. But 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 the more we're aware of this, the more we can yeah. we can change our processes, our culture, our uh, or my ideas for change are welcomed. That's a simple, straightforward question. Uh, women are at fifty five percent, and men men are at seventy three percent. It's a difference of eighteen percent. Yeah, that's huge. My, my ideas for change are welcomed. You know, um, and that's for a for a sample which goes across across the world, really. So, ha- so having diagnosed for curiosity, what's your prescription? That's a that's a that's a beautiful question. Every company is different. Every com- company has different dynamics. Every company has a different uh, balance between exploration and exploitation. Some companies are really good at, at the openness for mistakes and failure. Some companies are not so good at their internal processes. So th- there's no one-size-fits-all prescription yet. Um, I'm doing now a number of leadership sessions with people. Um, and there's another point I'm often raising is that what I've found so far is that only 20% of people managers are asking for reverse feedback. So the manager are not, 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 not giving feedback, but asking the, the team member, how am I doing? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So 80% of them are not doing. And, and, and one dimension of, uh, of, of being a curious leader in, in my language is, is to, be, uh, to have confident humility. Yeah. Humility saying, I don't know, but also saying, that, saying so. And being confident that you're not, you don't have to hide behind any, any anywhere to, uh, to to say so, and and asking for feedback is 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 a, is yeah, it's an immediate uh, trait of of confident humility. So the good thing is twenty percent already asking. The opportunity is what about the other eighty percent, and are we going to change that? So just ask. Ask for feedback and be genuine about it. Nice. Well, you have a you have a line somewhere in your materials about curiosity needs champions, mm-hmm. and I thought to kind of put that down on the table in an organization and and then work with people about like well, what does that mean? You know, what does that what does that elicit for you? How might that show up? How would we? What does that suggest about sort of celebrating this and empowering it? And I love it as a as a little package to just put there and think about, you know, how it's going to grow. It's it's something that I think we, I, I come from the learning and development area, of course, is that we as learning and development professionals have not really touched upon a lot. We, we've been, been so, focusing so much on training for skills and, and behaviors that the entire area of mindsets and and the habits has been eluding us and, and and i hope now with COVID and with 21st century which for me is more the century of ideas we can start looking at uh, at this um i think in one of your last podcasts with or one of your podcasts you did with alison horsemeyer uh-huh she said that uh, curiosity is growth mindset in action and yeah. i fully buy that yeah 
it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. I want to tap your analogous thinking. Are you game for my big jar of wannabe analogies? <laughs> yes. All right. Let's, All right. Let's do it. Okay. So I literally have this big glass jar, and inside are scraps of paper with random words written on them, and I have one for you, one for me, and one for the audience. Okay. Yours is salt. <laughs> Mine is moisturizing cream. And we have uh, one for the audience. So do you want to go or do you want me to go first? Oh, I'll go. Okay. That's, that's um, the spirit. I don't, I, I don't know what I'm going to say. but I, I, <laughs> None of us I, ever I do. Like, <laughs> I, I like the, the salt is an additive. Uh, something that you add to something existent to make it better, to make it more tasty. And I'll go with that that thought. Um, that curiosity is is in all of us. I think in uh, some of us have lost it along the way, and it doesn't really matter whether it's one of the three dimensions or all combined. But there's always opportunity for us to add salt to to our relationships, to ourselves, and how we're looking at the world, to 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 be internally. In, um, in making it nicer and making it tastier and, and, and enhancing it somehow. You know, for me, that also draws up. It's, it's elemental and mm. makes things sort of ever so much more so whatever they are. I love it. I love it. So mine is moisturizing cream. It's a lubricant. It, it softens things up and makes them perhaps more elastic and malleable than they sometimes feel. And I guess moisturizing cream also helps us retain a sense, a, a, a youthful look. And I think curiosity is a youthful look. So I guess that's how I see them. <laughs> it's going together. And audience, yours is rubber boots. How is curiosity like rubber boots? Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, Stefan, thank you so much for this. And I think I have to check back in after you've done more of your research. This is fascinating. And we'll do that. It's it's such a wonderful area to be to be exploring, and I feel like an explorer, yeah, a traveler in this in this journey. This there's not enough research done on this in this space, especially on the workplace environment. I feel like a, a kid in a in a candy store. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. Check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can find all my shows on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to Be Curious, and on my website at choosetobecurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at choose number two, letter B, curious. Don't forget to send us your rubber boots analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to Stefan von Hoedonk for juggling the time differences and joining me for a truly global curiosity conversation. More about his work, including the Curiosity Assessment Instrument, on my website. Thanks, too, to Sean Ballack for our theme music. And this is Reflectors by Raycatcher via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join us again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com.
Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash Nova House Hunter.